Chapter Six, Part Two of Lady Molly of Scotland Yard by Baroness Orsie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Castle in Brittany, Part Two. Of course, I was not present at the interview, but Lady Molly has so often told me all that happened and how it happened, and with such a wealth of picturesque and minute detail that sometimes I find it difficult to realize that I myself was not there in person. It seems that Monsieur le Curé himself ushered my lady into the presence of Miss Angela de Genneville. The old lady was not alone when they entered. Madame la Marquise de Terrovin, an elderly, somewhat florid woman, whose features, though distinctly coarse, recalled those of her sister, sat on a high-backed chair close to a table, on which her fingers were nervously drumming a tattoo, whilst in the window embrasure stood a young man, whose resemblance to both the ladies at once proclaimed him to Lady Molly's quick perception as the son of the one and the nephew of the other, the Marquis de Terrovin, in fact. Miss de Genneville sat erect in a huge armchair. Her face was the hue of yellow wax, the flesh literally shriveled on the bones, the eyes of a curious, unnatural brilliance. One hand clutched feverishly the arm of her chair, the other, totally paralyzed, lay limp and inert in her lap. "'Ah, the Englishwoman at last! Thank God!' she said in a high-pitched, strident voice, as soon as Lady Molly entered the room. "'Come here, my dear, for I have wanted one of your kind badly. A true-hearted Englishwoman is the finest product of God's earth. After all said and done, pardieu, but I breathe again,' she added, as my dear lady advanced somewhat diffidently to greet her, and took the trembling hand which Miss Angela extended to her. "'Sit down, close to me,' commanded the eccentric old lady whilst Lady Molly, confused, and not a little angered at finding herself in the very midst of what was obviously a family conclave, was vaguely wondering how soon she could slip away again. But the trembling hand of the paralytic clutched her own slender wrist so tightly, forcing her to sink into a low chair close by, and holding her there as with a grip of steel, that it would have been useless and perhaps cruel to resist. Satisfied now that her newly found friend, as well as Monsieur le Curé, were prepared to remain by her and to listen to what she had to say, the sick woman turned with a look of violent wrath toward the window embrasure. "'I was just telling that fine nephew of mine that he is counting his chickens before they are hatched. I am not yet dead, as monsieur my nephew can see, and I have made a will, I, and placed it where his thievish fingers can never reach it.' The young man, who up to now had been gazing stolidly out of the window, now suddenly turned on his heel, confronting the old woman, with a look of hate gleaming in his eyes. "'We can fight the will,' here interposed Madame la Marquise icily. "'On what grounds?' queried the other. "'That you were paralyzed and imbecile when you made it,' replied the Marquise dryly. Monsieur le Curé, who up to now had been fidgeting nervously with his hat, now raised his hands and eyes to the ceiling to emphasize the horror which he felt at this callous suggestion. Lady Molly no longer desired to go, the half-paralyzed grip on her wrist had relaxed, but she sat there quietly, interested with every fibre of her quick intelligence in the moving drama which was being unfolded before her. There was a pause now, a silence broken only by the monotonous ticking of a monumental, curious-looking clock which stood in the angle of the room. Miss de Genneville made no reply to her sister's cruel taunt, but a look, furtive, maniacal, almost dangerous, now crept into her eyes. Then she addressed the curé. "'I pray you, pen, ink, and paper, here, on this table,' she requested. Then, as he complied with alacrity, she once more turned to her nephew, 
and pointing to the writing materials. "'Sit down and write, Amadei,' she commanded. "'Write what?' he queried. "'A confession, my nephew,' said the old woman with a shrill laugh. "'A confession of those little peccadillos of yours, which, unless I come to your rescue now, will land you for seven years in a penal settlement, if I mistake not. Eh, my fine nephew?' "'A confession,' retorted Amadei de Terroven, savagely. "'Do you take me for a fool?' "'No, my nephew, I take you for a wise man, who understands that his dear aunt will not buy those interesting forgeries perpetrated by Monsieur le Marquis Amadei de Terroven, and offered to her by Rubenstein the moneylender, unless that confession is written and signed by you. Write, Amadei, write that confession, my dear nephew,' if you do not wish to see yourself in the dock on a charge of forging your aunt's name to a bill of one hundred thousand francs. Amadei muttered a curse between his teeth. Obviously the old woman's shaft had struck home. He knew himself to be in a hopeless plight. It appears that a money-lender had threatened to send the forged bills to Monsieur le Procureur de la République unless they were paid within twenty-four hours, and no one could pay them but Miss de Geneville, who had refused to do it, except at the price of this humiliating confession. A look of intelligence passed between mother and son. Intercepted by Lady Molly, and interpreted by her, it seemed to suggest the idea of humouring the old aunt, for the moment, until the forgeries were safely out of the money-lender's hands, then of mollifying her later on, when perhaps she would have forgotten, or sunk deeper into helplessness and imbecility. As if in answer to his mother's look, the young man now said curtly, I must know what use you mean to make of the confession if I do write it. That will depend on yourself, replied Mademoiselle dryly. You may be sure that I will not willingly send my own nephew to penal servitude. For another moment the young man hesitated. Then he sat down, sullen and wrathful, and said, I'll write, you may dictate. The old woman laughed a short, dry, sarcastic laugh. Then at her dictation, Amade wrote, I, Amade, Marquis de Terroven, hereby make confession to having forged Mademoiselle Angela de Genneville's name to the annexed bills, thereby obtaining the sum of one hundred thousand francs from Abraham Rubenstein of Brest. Now, Monsieur le Carré, would you kindly witness le Marquis's signature? said the irascible old lady, when Amade had finished writing. And you too, my dear? she added, turning to Lady Molly. My lady hesitated for a moment. Naturally, she did not desire to be thus mixed up in this family feud, but a strange impulse had drawn her sympathy to this eccentric old lady, who, in the midst of her semi-regal splendor, seemed so forlorn, between her nephew, who was a criminal and a blackguard, and her sister, who was but little less contemptible. Obeying this impulse, and also a look of entreaty from the curé, she affixed her own signature as witness to the document, and this despite the fact that both the marquise and her son threw her a look of hate which might have made a weaker spirit tremble with foreboding not so lady molly those very same threatening looks served but to decide her then at mademoiselle's command she folded up the document slipped it into an envelope sealed it and finally addressed it to monsieur le procureur de la republique resident at cannes amadee watched all these proceedings with eyes that were burning with impotent wrath. "'This letter,' now resumed the old lady, more calmly, "'will be sent under cover to my lawyer, Maître Vendôme, of Paris, who drew up my will, with orders only to post it, in case of certain eventualities, which I will explain later on. "'In the meanwhile, my dear nephew,' 
you may apprise your friend, Abraham Rubinstein, that I will buy back those interesting forgeries of yours on the day on which I hear from Maître Vendôme that he has safely received my letter with this enclosure. This is infamous, here broke in the Marquise, rising in full wrath, unable to control herself any longer. I'll have you put under restraint as a dangerous lunatic. I... Then, of course, I could not buy back the bills from Rubinstein, rejoined Mademoiselle calmly. Then, as the Marquise subsided, cowed, terrified, realizing the hopelessness of her son's position, the old lady turned placidly to my dear lady, whilst her trembling fingers once more clutched the slender hand of her newly found English friend. "'I have asked you, my dear, and Monsieur le Curé, to come to me to-day,' she said, "'because I wish you both to be of assistance to me in carrying out my dying wishes. You must promise me most solemnly, both of you, that when I am dead you will carry out these wishes to the letter. Promise!' she added, with passionate earnestness. The promise was duly given by Lady Molly and the old curé. Then Mademoiselle resumed more calmly. "'And now I want you to look at that clock,' she said abruptly, with seeming irrelevance. "'It is an old heirloom which belonged to the former owners of Porhoet, and which I bought along with the house. You will notice that it is one of the most remarkable pieces of mechanism which brain of man has ever devised, for it has this great peculiarity.' that it goes for three hundred and sixty-six days consecutively, keeping most perfect time. When the works have all but run down, the weights, which are enormous, release a certain spring, and the great doors of the case open of themselves, thus allowing the clock to be wound up. After that is done, and the doors pushed to again, no one can open them until another three hundred and sixty-six days have gone by, that is to say, not without breaking the case to pieces." Lady Molly examined the curious old clock with great attention. Vaguely she guessed already what the drift of the old lady's curious explanations would be. Two days ago,' continued Mademoiselle, "'the clock was open, and Monsieur Le Carré wound it up. But before I pushed the doors to again, I slipped certain papers into the case. You remember, Monsieur?' "'Yes, Mademoiselle, I remember,' responded the old man. "'Those papers were my last will and testament.' bequeathing all I possess to the parish of Pahouet, said Miss de Genneville dryly, and now the doors of the massive case are closed. No one can get at my will for another three hundred and sixty-four days. No one, <laughs> she added with a shrill laugh, not even my nephew, Amade de Terrovin. A silence ensued, only broken by the rustle of Madame la Marquise's silk dress as she shrugged her shoulders and gave a short, sarcastic chuckle. "'My dear,' resumed Mademoiselle, looking straight into Lady Molly's eager, glowing face, "'you must promise me that, three hundred and sixty-four days hence, that is to say, on the twentieth September next year, you and Monsieur Le Carré, or one of you if the other be incapacitated, will be present in this room at this hour, when the door of the clock will open. You will then wind up the family heirloom, take out the papers which you will find buried beneath the weights, and hand them over to Maître Vendôme for probate at the earliest opportunity. Monseigneur, the Bishop of Cannes, the Mayor of this Commune, and the sous-préfet of this department have all been informed of the contents of my will, and also that it is practically in the keeping of the curé de Paret, who, no doubt, realizes what the serious consequences to himself would be if he failed to produce the will at the necessary time the poor curate 
gasped in terror. "'But, but, but,' he stammered meekly, I, "'I may be forcibly prevented from entering the house. I might be ill, or—' He shuddered with an unavowable fear, then added more calmly, "'I might be unjustly accused, then, of stealing the will, of defrauding the poor of poet in favour of Mademoiselle's direct heirs.' "'Have no fear, my good friend,' said Mademoiselle dryly. "'Though I have one foot in the grave, I am not quite so imbecile as my dear sister and nephew here would suggest. And I have provided for every eventuality. If you are ill, or otherwise prevented by outside causes from being present here on the day and hour named, this charming English lady will be able to replace you. But if either of you is forcibly prevented from entering this house, or if having entered this room the slightest violence or even pressure is put upon you, or if you should find the clock broken, damaged, and stripped of its contents, all you need to do is apprise Maître Vendôme of the fact. He will know how to act. What would he do? Send a certain confession we all know of to Monsieur le Procureur de la République, replied the old lady, fixing the young Marquis Amade with her irascible eye. That same confession, she continued lightly. Maître Vendôme is instructed to destroy. If you, monsieur and my English friend here, and the clock, are all undamaged on the eventful day. There was silence in the great dark room for a while, broken only by the sarcastic chuckle of the enfeebled invalid. Tired out after this harrowing scene, wherein she had pitted her half-maniacal ingenuity against the greed and rapacity of a conscienceless roué, that she had hemmed her nephew and sister in on every side could not be denied. Lady Molly herself felt somewhat awed at this weird revenge conceived by the outraged old lady against her grasping relatives. She was far too interested in the whole drama to give up her own part in it, and as she subsequently explained to me, she felt it her duty to remain the partner and co-worker of the poor curé in this dangerous task of securing to the poor of Porhoet the fortune which otherwise would be squandered away on gaming tables and race-courses. For this, and many reasons too complicated to analyze, she decided to accept her share in the trust imposed upon her by her newly found friend. Neither the Marquise nor her son took any notice of Lady Molly, as she presently took leave of Mademoiselle de Geneville, who, at the last, made her take a solemn oath that she would stand by the curé and fulfill the wishes of a dying and much-wronged woman. Much perturbed, Monsieur le Curé went away. Lady Molly went several times after that to the Chateau of Porhoet to see the invalid, who had taken a violent fancy to her. In October we had, perforce, to return to England and to work, and the following spring we had news from the curé that Mademoiselle de Geneville was dead. End of Part 2 of A Castle in Brittany